Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season we're a little bit different. We're not only going to do that, but we're going to focus on a little bit more. Since the pandemic began, we know so many people have struggled with maintaining their habits of, of success in work, but also everything else outside of work with it. You know, how do you as a recruitment leader and founder maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how? Do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. That's every single week. You have an opportunity to learn from an expert or one of the most decorated successful recruitment founders on the planet. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to season five, episode two of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. Uh, I'm buzzing to be back. Last week was wicked. I uh, I felt like there was uh, there was real energy about the show being back. I've had loads of messages and uh, yeah, buzzing for today's show. I I will get into talking about today's guest in a moment. I'm I'm excited about today. This guy is someone I know really really well. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll get into that in a moment. I want to touch on first our sponsorship messages because I'm really excited. I, I managed to um, to secure a deal over the last couple of months with. Volcanic, who are, I think everyone knows, the, the leading website provider to the recruitment industry globally. Um, I love the guys at Volcanic. I've known them for years, Darren and Steve and plenty of the team. Um, and the reason I wanted to partner with them was not only are they the best in class, I mean, they've got 1,800 websites in recruitment sector globally and over 30% of UK, the top 100 recruitment business in the UK use them. Um, but I like what they're doing now to try and support the startup community as well as the scale and enterprise. Um, and a lot of the people who listen to this show are the startup community. Um, what I've managed to get from Volcanic, though, is and as we as we come to the end of 2022, I've managed to get them to give RAG listeners exclusively an opportunity to measure the, the effectiveness of your website. And they're calling it an MOT for, for RAG listeners. OK, so what that is, <coughs> if you are interested, if you sat there now going, I'm not even sure if my website's any good. The amount of recruitment companies I speak to that say their websites are like, landing pages and they're just like brochure sites well what they're going to do if you reach out to them for free they'll give you some time and they'll measure your candidate attractiveness your client engagement abilities the brand building capabilities and more all you need to do to get access to this is go to www.volcanic.com forward slash hoxo uh one of my team will put the link in the comments on this live episode and if you go in if you're listening back on the podcast store if you read the the, the comments in the bio on on the on the show You'll see that link there as well. Our second sponsor are back for another season. These guys are known as District 4. If you don't know, District 4 are a business. They're, they're a recruitment brand that are bringing top recruitment billers together to build a brand of experts. So they're not looking at scaling through the, the junior community. They're taking 200K plus billers 
and they're putting them into to collectively work under the umbrella brand and they're giving them support and training and guidance and, and they're going to scale and grow that way. It's totally different. Um, what they've asked is if you'd like to join them, they are running a, recruit up, a recruitment startup five-day challenge called So You Want to Start Your Recruitment Business. So for anyone sat in an agency right now thinking 2022 might be my year, over the next few days, you can go and do a five-day challenge where they're going to help you explore, explore your vision, your why, your financials, your market, and put together a proper business plan. It's only for experienced recruiters who want to go it alone and want to do it at a deeper level. They want to do it. They want to get it right from the start. At the end of the challenge, you'll either be raring to go to start your business, or you'll have decided it is not for you. They're not going to give you any bullshit. They're going to tell you the truth. It ain't for you. All right. Um, if you want to do this and make 2022 your year. Monday the 8th of November to Friday the 12th of November 2021, they're going to be running a five-day challenge every single day. So to get to be part of the challenge, there's a link. I can't even read the link out. It's too long and I'm, I'm full of a cold. I'll, I'll mess it up. So <laughs> look at the link in the comments again on LinkedIn and look at the link on the bio on this episode on the podcast store. You do not want to miss it. All right, let's get into today's episode. Leo Harrison is today's guest. Leo is the founder of Chapter 2, a... a, a a talent acquisition embedded model recruitment business that founded in January 2020, just before the pandemic began. I personally remember Leo uh, going through this journey. And then when the pandemic hit, it was almost quite funny, really. It was like, what the hell's happening now? Um, this isn't Leo's first business. He did. He was in the founding team that launched a marketing agency called Oliver, which were an on-site building in-house marketing teams for some of the biggest brands on the planet. He scaled that business to 2,500 staff in 28 countries. He went from graduate employee to the global COO and then exited just before he launched Chapter 2. Um, Chapter 2 is now one of the fastest growing recruitment companies on the planet, over 33 staff in 18 months, clients all over the world. And I'm delighted that he's taken the time to join us on today's show. So Leo, welcome. Welcome to The Hello. Rack. How you doing? You okay? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I'm jealous of you. You're sat in your fancy flat in, in Waterloo in London. Uh, you, super relaxed. <coughs> well, I'm I'm here up north, dying like a chimney sweep. I, I sound terrible. Thanks, mate. It sounds more glamorous than it is. I bet. I bet. Look, I've done a little intro there, mate, but just give us a bit better bird's eye view of what does chapter two look like right now? Um, so, yeah, thanks for the intro. So, basically, chapter two... Um, the reason why I found in chapter two is because I was on the operational end of uh, a very, very fast growing company. And I felt the pain of uh, what I feel is a, the traditional approach to, to talent acquisition recruitment. And I wanted to do it a different way. And I believe we found a different way uh, that adds more value to clients. Um, launched the business, as you say, January 2020. Uh, at that time, there was this thing going on in China and Italy that, you know, didn't really make a difference to me. Didn't <laughs> think about it. Uh, little did we all know that uh, it was going to have catastrophic impact to the world. Um, and every opportunity, so I got imagine, right? So I had this like cushy job, right? I knew everybody in the business. I um, was part of the DNA of this business. And it was an amazing job, an amazing agency. And I quit it all to go and do this thing called Chapter 2. Wow. And uh, I looked down the barrel of February, March 2020, thinking this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Um, every opportunity um, cancelled, every meeting cancelled. Um, uh, nobody was interested. And I'm, I know all the listeners will empathise 
with the trenches that everybody had to go through. Now, while everybody's saying today the recruitment industry is absolutely bubbling, let's not forget we all went through hell in 2020. Do you know what? I've been saying that. I've been saying that this week. I've met a couple of clients and it's like, you know what? Like, all it is is candidate attraction. Don't care about anything else. And I'm like, let's let's just have a little bit more foresight to how the market can change. Because remember a year ago, it was all about client acquisition. There was no jobs. And, you know, we need to be we need to be humble and remember what went on last year and be be open to the fact that it, you know, things will stabilize and change quite rapidly. And I think you said, have you noticed that? Is it is it slowing down a little bit, do you think, right now? I think I mean it's, it's, it goes as fast as we want to go. Um, so, you know, when the industry hockey sticks, right? So so the industry completely changed, I think, from maybe I we felt a difference from October um, to December where we started winning clients again. And um, it amplified in quarters one and two, 2021, and it's continued to go. Is it cooling off? Maybe. Are we getting comfortable with the pace? Probably. No. Um, you know, I think... There's so much work to go for out there if you genuinely want to add value to your clients. Um, and um, and I think if you know, we um, I think recruitment is generally the first thing to get impacted when a global economy falls over, mm. but also it's the first thing to come back when it yeah. gets back up on its feet. Yeah. So I think the recruitment industry is back up on its feet, uh, and those that do it really well and very sustainably will um, continue to be successful, and the ones that do it like the average 45,000 recruitment companies in the world, they'll just plateau. No, no you're right. So look, there's so much we can go through in the next hour. There's literally, uh, you know, we, this, the angles we could talk about with you is, is insane. But let's go back to the start, right? So what, how old were you when you joined Oliver? You were early 20s, right? I was 22 uh, when I was at Oliver, yeah. Um, and I met the founder, Simon Martin. Um, in My interview was in a pub in um Finsbury pavement i remember it like it was yesterday and um yeah we had a we had a uh, an interview i got hit with a couple of really decent questions um then we had dinner at a restaurant which we still Simon and i still go back to regularly to reminisce and um and then uh the next day i got a job offer yeah what, what was his vision like what at that point what did he see that you were brought into so, so Simon, uh, Simon's vision has always been underpinned by three things, and we've talked about them in the past. It's been underpinned by something that's called market orientation, which is delivering sustainable customer benefits, uh, having operational capability, and uh, competitive differentiation. Right? Mm -hmm. That that is through the lifeblood of most successful companies out there. If you look at Virgin and all those other ones, and Oliver was no different. Yeah. So Simon is probably the most, um, uh, probably the best business brain in the marketing industry globally, in my in my opinion. And he took this model. Um, he was from the insurance background, uh, running sales and marketing for insurance. He took 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 this model into um, into the advertising world, and completely obliterated it. You know. Over, over a period of 10 to 15 years. And how would you describe the model for people that don't know Oliver? Um, the model that Oliver do, in the recruitment world, the easiest way to describe it, RPO for design agencies, yeah. basically. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so we went in-house 
And we, um, we used to go in and we used to build in-house creative agencies for our clients. We believe, and Oliver believe, that proximity and pace um, uh, is a fundamental um, ingredient to helping brands to, um, to um, amplify their, their content. And, you know, content, you know, just talk from a marketing and Oliver point of view for a minute, you know, because of, uh, of these things, uh, content has become increasingly fast. And um, and you constantly be serving up really engaging content because you know you've got a bullshit filter in your eyes that that just scrolls past it, and it's always on. So you need to be always um, pushing out engaging content. The Oliver model allows you to put really creative content, really engaging content out really quickly because they have embedded teams. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like you literally go into an organization, build their own design capability, their own creative capability internally. So. Yeah. Your job throughout those years to go from like literally supporting the founder in his vision to go into global COO, <clears throat> like how many different jobs did you have? Like were you reinventing yourself year on year? Yeah, I mean, I had to reinvent myself every year. I think every 18 months I had a new job pretty much, um, whether it was official or unofficial. Every 18 months my job changed. And um, the best way to really describe it simply is that I was kind of like the first man in with most things that happened. So. If we want a new client, generally I was the first guy to, to go and implement that client. If we opened in a market, I went in and did that. We bought a company, I went in and integrated it. And um, I, I, you know, I had many different roles, um, but I like to think that I was uh, effectively Simon's right-hand man for most of that journey of that, that building that business, or at least someone he could uh, depend on and lean on um, as uh, as he built the business up. Um, and um, and contribute to, to, to the journey effectively. So yeah, I, I did every every job and, and had to have every skill set. I'm not I'm kind of like a, a a massive I'm a massive generalist. Yeah, I'm not really good at anything. <laughs> so, you did like sales, account management. You solved problems. You just you just basically yeah. got shit done. Yeah, like I'm literally like chief of get shit done and motivate people, keep people engaged, uh, make people feel valued. Um, I kind of. Um, I've got a good commercial background, running businesses, you know, running commercials, uh, keeping control of things like cost base, um, uh, sustainable um, uh, growth strategies, um, uh, keeping keeping the reins uh, tight, you know, as we grow. Because it was a it was a very very fast growth company. It was seventy four percent compound annual growth rate year on year. It was the fastest growing company in the UK three times over. Only 1% of the companies ever do that. Um, and um, how do you, how did you stay afloat then? Because you, you've talked to me about this triangular like vision with your business where like, you know, your business looks like a triangle and then a year or two later, it's a bigger triangle. And then, you know, you've got to kind of jump with the business and you could effectively, it's, there's a lot of employees in companies that end up being replaced or people going above them because they just can't move with it. But yeah. you've been able to move from, say, a handful of people to two and a half thousand. What, what do you think it was about you that made you adaptable enough to keep keep up the pace with the business? I think I think you know, I've I've got a sort of relentless tenacity um, for business and, and building my own career. Yeah. Um, there was no way in the world I was not going to maintain the pace of that business. I just saw it failing if I didn't maintain it. It wasn't failing, but I felt if I wasn't maintaining the pace of that business, 
and wasn't remaining at Simon's side every time the company grew. Every time Simon grew, he built an SLT around him. I wanted to be on that SLT. And mm. um, my, I probably think it was sheer competitiveness, ambition, and being relentless um, were the key things that, that made me maintain it. It was, it was, you know, tough going. And what was the biggest difference for you when it became so big? Like, you know, to go from a small boutique business to a global corporate with two and a half thousand people. I don't know if you call it corporate or not, but it's a global brand with, with people in 28 countries. What's the, what's the biggest difference for you at that point? I think the, the biggest difference, I think, for me is when you're a business of up to, I think, 100 maybe 200 people your your natural leadership and um ability to reach everyone is is easy from 0 to 50 it's pretty diff it's, it's getting harder when you get to 50 to 150 and anything over 250 for you to personally uh, be an engaging leader with everybody know their names know their families know where they live it gets harder and harder and you dilute right your management ability dilutes and I think that you've got to bring people around you that you can work through who feel like they are embodying the business. They're not embodying you because you are, I am the business, right? So mm. all I'm, I am the message, I work for the company. So chapter two, my message is to make sure chapter two is lived and breathed through everybody else and on. And Simon's was from Oliver to make sure it comes through me to everybody else. So as we got bigger, the biggest challenge was making sure like when you think about you know yes you can do it in the uk but when you're talking about someone in sao paulo or jakarta or argentina culturally massively different you know different time zones you only get you know maybe half an hour with them every few days to really get people on board and keep them engaged is probably the hardest challenge and the biggest difference that i saw as we grew and maintaining that 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 um, constant level of you know Oliverness, you know that, yeah. that magic stuff. Did you think you got that wrong at times? Like, did the business? Uh, did you ever have a point where you thought we're losing it here? Like, it's becoming a the DNA is starting to drift. Or um, I think Oliver <clears throat> really well at it. I'm going to talk from a personal point of view. Mm. I went through a big learning curve, right? So I was I was 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. You know, those years of my life, I'm a young, you know bit of an ego kind of kid who you know is growing up in a fast-growing company and sometimes my management style needed to be adapted and i recognize that now and i did adapt it and i took training i took feedback and i was open to learning uh but yeah i, I definitely um probably wouldn't say fail but i definitely needed course correction as i was growing up because i was a kid growing up yeah, yeah. i'm a kid i'm a kid i'm not really a kid but what i'm saying i was a, i was a young executive trying to get somewhere and sometimes um i didn't have the probably sometimes a level of empathy that i needed and that sort of thing so i needed to to change and i, and I think i like to think i did change uh, as as the company went on but i had to recognize that sounds like i mean the journey you went on must have been incredible there must have been like you know moments where you were like how are we even doing this like you know to go from a handful to two and a half thousand and the money that the business turned over was just on a totally different scale to what you probably as a 22 year old could have imagined yeah. and I, 
again, I imagine that for most of that journey, you were, you know, it was engaging enough and you were involved enough that it was all, you know, that was you, that was your journey. You were Oliver and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. When did you start to feel like you, your tracks were starting to deviate and you were starting to think about maybe chapter two or whatever it was in its first in, when did, when did the thought of being an entrepreneur outside of the business hit you on, hit your radar? I think it was, um, I, I, I've, so there's a couple of things to say there. So like, I've always wondered, I was number two guy for, for 15 years. And I always wondered if I could be a number one guy, you know, mm -hmm. run the company, take all the responsibility and lead and build something. And um, it was always a nagging thing at the back of my mind. Could I do it? Can I do it? You know, I've always had this sort of safe incubation of this payroll, right? Because to be, to be fair, right, come the end of the month, I still got my salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone who runs their own recruitment business or runs their own business does not have that luxury. You know, yeah. we all felt that last year, right? Everyone, I can't imagine anyone who didn't take a pay cut last year. Yeah, yeah. You know? But you know, I have, I've literally been running chapter two for two years. And as of this month, I'm now paying myself a salary yeah. as of this month. Um, and I think that, um, uh, I think that um, I, one of the main reasons I decided to, to do it myself was, was twofold. One, because I wanted to see if I could do it, being a born man. But two, I think a business gets to a certain size and scale. For me, again, my personal um, ambitions, that I want to be able to personally know everybody. And um, at two and a half thousand people, it's impossible. Hmm. I just can't reach everyone. And you have to build a hierarchy and, and you can't get to everyone. You can through, you know, virtual Zoom and things like that, but you can't know everyone that well. So I think I wanted to go back to, to having something that I felt was a bit more controllable, you know, for me personally. So go a bit smaller again. Hmm. So you managed to make the decision. You managed to get out which I know took you a long time, you know, negotiations because you had shares and there's loads of things about, you know, non-competes and all sorts. You start a business and then the pandemic hits. So what, did you consider, what the, did you did you ever think about quitting at that point? I think, what the fuck, giving Simon a call and just thinking, uh, take me back, mate. Take my back, yeah. Um, I did on a regular basis, on a very regular basis. Um, so there was a moment in, June 2020, I sat in the garden. I've got, you know, for those who don't know, I've got two, two young kids. And um, I thought to myself, this just is a rough, this, this is a bad time. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm just getting told no every single day. Nobody's interested. Um, recruitment is on its knees. There's just no demand whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, and uh so i said to my wife look you know i've got two young kids you know yes i've got the ability through um uh, personal circumstances to be able to cover myself for a year um should i just sit this one out and should i shut it down and then see what happens after after that after covid um but so i did think about it yeah i need i need to quit in june um and so, I'm what, was the, what was the reason you didn't do it um because i'm i was so personally invested in it you know by that time i spent nearly a year thinking about doing it and, and then actually doing it um i was you know financially invested in it so i'd already burnt through my own personal financial investment into the mm -hmm. business I, you know gone so far it would have been completely wasted 
Um, and, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go back to um, a role whereby I was doing 140 flights a year. Um, and because I could kind of very easily step back into a corporate role or a larger business role, you know, been the global CEO of another company or been a CEO. But again, I, I didn't want to go back to doing 148 flights a year. In 2018, I did 148 flights and um, I didn't see my son hardly. And I wanted wow. to get that balance back. So, so, so I wanted to, I, I, again, I've wanted to have a business that I can control my life through it and also where I can help other people as well, you know, mm. and, their, and their lifestyles. I'm, I'm generally motivated by, I'm hoping that all of the employees of chapter two get great things through the salaries and reward remuneration they have at chapter two and have amazing lives. Yeah. That's, Cause that's why I had that. So what, is, what is the idea then? So you've, you've come, you've done the opposite of me. I've gone from recruiter to marketing owner Fuck me! I've made some errors, and and I've 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 literally questioned it a billion times whether I made the right decision. Um, yeah. But I'm glad I've stuck to it. Um, you've done the other way around. You've gone from I mean a much bigger scale than me, but you were a marketing marketing agency background, and you've launched into recruitment world. What's the idea? Why why do you think why why did you have the confidence to do it? Do you think? Um, I had the confidence to do it because I was on the operational end of a very fast growth business. So, so any of my old Oliver colleagues will tell you, I am no marketeer. Um, yeah. <laughs> marketing was my product. I understood it. But when you sit me next to, I don't know, a, a strategist um, that knows how to pick apart a brand and take a brand to market, understand the personas and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like a Fisher Price <laughs> version of where they are. You know, um, Marketing hadn't happened to be the product that I ran a business in. And my skill set is commercial management, running businesses, motivating people, setting a strategy, and just going and doing it. Yeah, and 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 I, I and and doing it at high quality and great pace. And um, I believe that some of the most successful businesses are built from pain points that you receive as a consumer. And recruitment was something for many many years as Oliver grew. Um, was a um, pain point that we found as a consumer because we grew so fast, right? It was only natural that talent acquisition was going to be a problem for us. And we had to figure out a way of doing it. So I personally invested myself and my time in thinking about how was the best way to attract the best talent that doesn't leave, um, you know, beat the competition and do it really, really fast hmm. in locations that were thousands of miles away as well. So, um, I set up Chapter 2 because um, I felt I had a solution to a pain that I personally received as a consumer of that product or a, 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 as a client. And I felt there'd be people, more people like me, I could take the, you know, this now, what's called the Chapter 2 model to, in order to be able to um, help them as well. So what's going on then? So tell us, since that moment you nearly quit, I think after June, July, you would have sought the market slightly pick up, right? I think back end of last summer when we had that eat out to help out period. And, you know, yeah. that's when I saw across my client base, the recruitment market started to pick up and it actually went really quite quickly how yeah. fast it exactly. So you nearly quit, you don't quit, you hold out another month or two and suddenly boom, you're in a different planet now. Like this, what's happened since? Give us that rocket ship overview. So one of the things I've always believed in is investing all the profits back into the company, right? This is like my third child. Um, 
And I, uh, in order for it to be successful, I needed to invest back into it. So all the profits go straight back into the company and allowed me to hire really great people, buy some amazing technology products and uh, offer those people and the technology products to our clients. Um, so come, it was November 2020, um, we were asked to pitch for the Collinson business and we went out and pitched it. And one of the things that I believe we are good at and really know how to do, and it's something I was trained to do, is pitch really, really well. So I threw my heart and soul into the Collinson pitch um, and we were successful in winning Collinson early in uh, 2021. And again, we used that money to be reinvested back in the business into more marketing, which we use you for. Mm. Uh, we used it for... Um, well, let's just say that. Let's just stop about. I mean, it's not a plug about us, but I don't know any other business who invested in, you know, a considerable retainer in in the brand and the without revenue. Like you started with us before you were making money. I remember. Yeah. And, you never, and you never once phoned us and said, by the way, Sean, like I might have to cut this. Whereas... Clients who were making 50 million the year before were saying to me, you know, can we can we think about the, what we're investing? Yeah. And I think that that's what I believe that's what separates you from a lot of people in our sector is you've come from such a bigger mentality. You've seen such a bigger operation. You think bigger like you. You knew that. All right. If you ride out the storm, this investment's going to pay off. And then, you know, the way that you're I think the way you're perceived online, I'm biased because we've been behind it. But it is you do look I get loads of compliments about you guys and how, how much you're doing and the way you stand out and, you know, all your teams are in the academy and it's a really well-rounded strategy that, that you've invested in, which not many brands would do at the start. No, I think it's probably because um, being from a marketing background, mm. uh, I know that marketing is not a light you can switch on and switch off. No. Marketing is an engine that you have to start up, get running, tune, tweak, you know, fiddle with the dashboard and the knobs to make sure everything's working okay. And, um, stop doing things that aren't working, double down on things that are working. And it's a constant thing that we talk to you. I mean, we talk to your team twice a week, I think. Yeah. In fact, probably my team talk to your team on a daily basis, but I meet your team once or twice a week. They were with me this morning. So like, um, I, I was not switching off marketing. There was no way. If I wanted to get market presence in a market that I was not known in, um, I could not switch off the marketing and it's paying back now. Um, so we are, you know, we are really, if you don't count COVID, because not a lot of people do, we are what nearly one year old. And um, we are now actually with the people coming in, 42 members of staff um, and will, I should think, easily do 3 million this year. But that's because um, we we put out so much content about our model our proposition our beliefs that we've created an awareness that when we're pitching against um the guys that have been doing it between six and ten years we come in as someone who is as credible um and we win against them you know we, we won against some big hitters um against um with our clients pa consulting um with concern you know opoly um we were we were pitching against some of the you know the names that you, the household recruitment names that you'd know and um and i think marketing played a massive part of that because yeah. without the awareness you know they, they don't know anything about you you don't want to be the best kept secret in the market hidden gem like who wants to be that and, and i've said this before if you if, if someone tried to turn my engine off like well i mean i'm behind a lot of it but i've got a team and 
I would you couldn't pay me you couldn't pay me enough money. I mean you could buy the whole business if you want, but you couldn't you couldn't pay me enough money to turn marketing off because it's that to me it's it's literally everything, right? Yeah. So so you're now in a position where you've got like you say circa 40 people, 3 million revenue, a year old. What does your day look like? Talk us through like a real because I know you you live in Jersey, you you commute to London a couple of days a week. What does it look? What's an average day or a week like in the in the life of, of yourself personally? Um, so personally, um, my son generally gets me up at about half five six in the morning, <laughs> um, and I like to spend the first hour, couple of hours a day with with the kids. I used yeah. to go to the gym. Uh, I still try to fit the gym in where I can, but kids are the number one priority for me. So, um, so, you know, I give, I give 10 hours a day to my job of the 24 hours we have in the day, 10 hours go to the job, you know, seven or eight of it goes to sleeping. The rest has got to go generally to the kids. Uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, spend time morning goes with the kids. Then I'll get started about eight, eight thirty, And, um, I believe in working through people. The only way you can get a lot of stuff done at pace is to um, uh, consolidate a strong management team that you can work through and with um, to get stuff done fast. Um, so um, I have, I'm always on WhatsApp. Um, I'm generally do checking calls with everybody most days. Um, I don't do too many sort of strategic one-to-ones that are set in the diary. I probably should, but I have a constant noise of communication going on with the people that I work with all the time. So it's the best way, and I'm going to probably come a cropper here, but like, because I did this and I did a massive blooper, but the best way I can give you is like analogies, right, of a football pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And I know nothing about football. <laughs> I know you don't. Yeah. So, um, but it's like the ball's in play, right? Business is like, football the ball's in play and we're kicking the ball around all the time so chapter two is and the clients of the ball and we literally i'll be passing the ball to the team they'll be passing it back i'll run with it i'll kick it downfield you know they'll cross it in and I'll, you know try and score a goal that it is, it is a absolute epitome of a team game and um i anyone who thinks that this is a, you know a one player game business is a one player game is a sole trader yeah yeah 100 100 percent and you're so you still because again you're not a recruiter so you can't get into and, and we talked a bit about this before the show today which and it's the same with me right even though i am probably now i've i've kind of i've got so into linkedin and strategy and you know my my brand personally is what's accelerated hoxo's growth and now i personally coach recruiters out to market but i still don't pretend i'm a marketing i'm not a degree i'm not got a degree in marketing i've never i don't run campaigns my agency company you know, as evolved without me pretty much because I'm, I'm I'm probably too annoying in there because I don't know, I get in the way of shit. You, I think it'd be quite similar for you in recruitment. Like, you, it's not like they can get, go on, Leo, find us from some Python developer. <laughs> you can't do it. So. No. If you see me on LinkedIn Recruiter, we're in trouble. <laughs> um, I think, uh, as I said, so it, it's a team game, right? Um, and my place on the on the field on the pitch is um to be um 70 percent of my time thinking about where the business is going um uh talking to our clients understanding their needs understanding our clients industries and their needs 
um, making sure my team are motivated, are engaged, are happy. Um, and um, my dashboard consistently is, is around sort of, you know, macroeconomics of what our clients' industries are doing, um, how our clients are feeling from a service point of view, <coughs> delivering, and how motivated and engaged and happy uh, at the chapter two, uh, we call them Wolfpack, are, you know. Um, and they're my, they're my three, four things that I look at on a daily basis. And I use, you know, the team around me to, to extend reach into, you know, the other locations and the, the in-house teams that we have. From a culture perspective then, because I know Oliver was a big organization, very face-to-face. -face. I, mean, I used to meet you for coffees in, uh, where was it again? Farringdon, wasn't it? Before you went yes, to the office. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, used to be there, you're in London. Now, you know, it's all, a lot of it's remote. I know you meet, you come to London once a week or whatever you do. Yeah. How are you finding that <coughs> cultural shift? And, and are you able, do you feel, have you got it right? Are you finding any challenges with keeping this culture, this wolf pack when you're not necessarily around them all the time? Yeah, I think I think we're doing all right. Um, it's definitely different. Um, you know, the, the, the benefit that we've got is that, chapter two was founded in this nightmare environment right so yeah. we were like you know born in the dark you know <laughs> so um we, we kind of like found our way and um to quote bane um but anyway um we were we were born in in this like period so we kind of like i i hired most of the team without meeting them in person yeah we set out a way of working got them kit during this in this this pandemic so um we we designed our people and culture around it because we didn't know any different hmm. um, what does it look like then how do you, how do you balance it now what give us an indication of how how you how do you keep it ticking yeah it's starting to change now because i want to create more personal engagement team so as an example last night uh, or yesterday uh, we had the team at, we have an office in in, uh, in central london we have an office near moorgate and um we generally ask the team to get together on a Wednesday and a Thursday. Um, most of our clients aren't in the office. The ones that are, we go in and see the clients. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we have effectively a team day on a Wednesday and a Thursday um, where we're all sort of in the office, you know, um, together. At the end of that day, I generally always try and do um, a town hall every two weeks or once a month that basically allows everybody to talk about what they're doing on their clients, uh, what we're doing from a people culture point of view, what we're doing from a new business point of view, what we're doing from a global expansion point of view, you know, where, where we're reinvesting the money, what tech products we're bringing on board. And I do that and talk to the team so they know where we're going, right? Um, so they can see where their career can go. And then, and then I take them out for drinks and we have some fun. Um, so, I think we've got we've we've gone from a place where everything was on Zoom, to, uh, and that's how we started the company and and operation operationalized the company, <clears throat> and the people and culture. We're now moving to a place whereby we've got a bit of both worlds, and I think that will be the case for most of next year, possibly half of next year, and then I'm hoping things will start to you know be a bit more fluid. Those who want to be in the office full time can be in the office full time, and those that, that you know, don't come in part time. But we will definitely. I think it's really important that we have our own culture. And I, while I support people that you know need to and want to work from home, you know, to be connected to a business like ours, you 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 need to, to be there in person, 
partially. Yeah, I think we've um, we've struggled. We, we, we as a business, we went remote, didn't we? And we started hiring internationally. As you you helped us with a lot of that, and you know, so now we've got thirty five people in different. You know, half of it's in South Africa. We've got a couple in the US, Portugal. So it's a lot harder. We can't, you know, the UK and the South main hubs are UK and South Africa. They're, we're trying to introduce that in those locations. Yeah. But we've got, you know, people up north like me. You've got people in um, on the south coast in England. You've got people in Cape Town, Durban, Joburg. So it's not, we're not all, it's not like we're in London and Joburg. So it, yeah. we're finding that as a bit of a challenge, if I'm honest. It's not, it's not the easiest. Also, just so you know, a couple of your team, Eureka and Caitlin, have both said they're proud to be part of the Wolfpack. Uh, in the comments um anyone who's listening as well if you're live if you've got any questions for leo I'll, I'll i'll happily present them to them so let me know um all right so what's the future leo like i mean you always inspire me every time i speak to you, you inspire me but i've never asked you that like where is this business going like is it is it another oliver is it that scale or what, what where do we where are we headed well i'd be lying if i said i wasn't inspired um uh, by what oliver had done um and um, Oliver never planned to be as big as it was, as quick as it was. I remember sitting with Simon, you know, we're in a gym and they were actually in a sauna and he said, I'm going to get this company to 40 million quid. And we we're like, oh my God, I can get 40 million quid. And we blinked and we we're at 150 million quid, you know, wow. in turnover. So, um, you know, I don't like, to, like to, 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 to set sort of too many sort of parameters, but the, the aim is, um, to build out a company uh, that's got multiple geographic locations that adds value to its customers and its clients by attracting and building them an amazing workforce, right? Um, and helping them uh, deliver their strategies through having the best talent. And um, whether that's just a UK business, whether that's an international business, I don't know yet. I know for a fact we're going to be opening Q, Q1. I can tell you in Q1 next year, we're going to be opening in two more geographic locations. Uh, we're going to be, we, we've got an office in, in Johannesburg, uh, an office in Cape Town. We've got an office in uh, the UK. We're going to have an office in Berlin and Boston uh, before the end of Q1 next year. Um, you know, my background is to, to manage and run uh, global operations. So, you know, the benefit of my last job was I've got friends around the world um, and I've got a good network. Um, and if I make a phone call to somebody in a foreign uh, country, I can generally get some advice and help. Um, and um, so the, the aim is to build this company um, as uh, big and as fast as we can. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's go into you as a human then and, and your habits. So... You've said you wake up early, you've got the kids, you, you, you're in work. So for 10 hours a day, what are your, like, <clears throat> do you have any, like, habits or processes? Like, I've seen you do a lot of writing on boards, you do a lot of writing on pads. Like, whenever I'm with you, you tend to, like, draw shit out. You're quite visual. Yeah. Is there something, like, you live by, like, every day? Like, for example, me, I've got, like, a Trello board open, and I have these three three things where I have um, to do, in progress, and done. And that's kind of my whole world is, is based on that. And then when I... My, my 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 direct reports i have i have a board for each of them which has the same three things and i try and keep it dead simple i think yeah. you probably taught me that to be honest um but where well how do you live daily and keep because you you're i think you're good at simplifying shit like and it's so it's so mad what's going on how, how do you keep it clear on what you're doing and how you're doing it um i think i think as far as, far as discipline's concerned i kind of like um 
I, I think you've got to know your limitations. Like, so I'm best in the mornings, right? So I'll, I can regularly, and I have done more recently, start work at 5, 5.30 before my son wakes up. Hmm. And I hear him wake up and I'll go up and see him. And I'm bright as a button. Same. Uh, but you try and put a conference call or a meeting in my diary past nine o'clock, it's getting declined. Because I'm horrendous. Yeah. yeah. I'm rent- I because I shut down. I'm knackered, you know. So so I know my limitations. I know if I need to do anything that's quite um heavy going, do it in the morning and I do the light touch stuff in the afternoon. Um I I believe in in regular constant communication with people through the many mediums that we have access to now, whether it be just a Teams call, a WhatsApp call, you know, a WhatsApp uh, group message, um, a WhatsApp voice note, just to keep things going. I just I'm always communicating all of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think as the only one of the, the main sort of disciplines I can really tell you is that I've, I have probably been into some level of fitness or training my whole you know, sort of fairly adult life from the age of 15 going to the gym and the one thing about the gym whether it's running lifting weights or anything is if you want to have personal physical progression you have to go through some level of resilience and pain yeah and it's built outside of the comfort zone yeah yeah so if you're inside your comfort zone for long periods of time, you're going backwards. Hmm. So I, 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 I thrive on living and working and being in an environment where I know I'm out of my comfort zone, but I don't stress myself out about it. I just accept it and I work it out, you know? Um, and I bring people around me that can help me work it out. That's the aim. So discipline <laughs> is the difference between what you want now and what you want most. Wow. Yeah. What you want now and what you want most. They're two different. Yeah, they are very different. They're very different. Because what you want now might be an easy afternoon or a lion. I've I've started doing it. I've realized actually that when I wake up in the morning, I'm the I'm the same as you. I'm so wired, clear. My brain is so so actually going to the gym in the morning and exercising is, is a waste because I'm better. I'm I'm better at my laptop. And I actually enjoy like I quite like having a coffee at 5 36 everyone's asleep whatever and i'm just fucking on the zone and i've i've yeah i've won i've won business in the last month by waking up early and working yeah. at that time and then lunchtime i've now blocked out apart from this on a thursday i block out 12 till two o'clock so 12 o'clock i'll go and train and then i've got 12 to one to eat and decompress and then get work my way back in and then from two till six seven i'm back on it full yeah health. so but I used to think I had to start the day with exercise. It had to be, like, you read a million books about the 5 a.m. club and jump in the morning. But I don't need an extra kick in the morning. I've already, I've got a natural kick. I'm the same though. Eight o'clock at night, I am zonked. I am totally, I'm shocking. Like, I'm yeah. wasting time. I'm just staring at Netflix at, <laughs> eight at nine o'clock at night. Just staring at Netflix. How, how do you manage to, I know you're married and I know you live in Jersey and, and I know your, your wife's in a high powered role. She's in, is it financial services she works with? Right? Yeah. Uh, it's actually fiduciary services, but yeah, Ooh, same thing to me. Sorry. It's, all, it's, all, it's all finance. Yeah, it's all, yeah, that's all definitely not, not a word. I'm uh, I roll off the tongue very easily, no. um, but you know, she's a really, she's a high flyer. She's a high achiever. How are you two? I know, and I know you travel. I've seen you in Dubai last week in Ibiza recently. You do, you, you, you look like you're balancing things really well from the from the outside. Yeah. 
how do you keep this going? And you know, what what's the what's your secret? And and is it going? You know, have you tried, have you have you struggled with that balance when you're both so committed to work? You've got two kids yeah. and you've got each other. How how are you managing that? Um, so it's an interesting question. It's a really good one. I think um, I, I think your your sort of your life partner is you know one of the is the most important choice you can make in life right your life partner and um i took a while to choose my life partner and when but when i met her i knew that that, that you know every other thing yeah. was off in my world that was just the only person i ever wanted to be with so so i picked well when it came to someone that that got me understood me because one thing that you know Zena, my wife, um, understands is that when I have to go to London for three days and I don't phone her for two of them, she gets it yeah. because she understands that. And um, when uh, she has to go and I need to stay and you know be with the kids, um, I get it. And you know, I never met anybody who was quite as ambitious as her as well. You know. Um, yeah, obviously, probably her and Simon, <laughs> they're two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, yeah. is just a, a yeah, friendship, exactly, exactly. So, um, and I think one of the things that she said to me when we, when we were like, I thought I was like, like career orientated, right? And I thought I was ambitious. And then one thing she said to me when uh, when we were dating or whatever, she said, I'll never forget, she said, What, you, what are you doing the weekend? We were just dating, so we didn't see each other every weekend. And I said, I don't know, probably like going out, drinking or do whatever. And she goes, the weekends are for getting ahead in your career. So you should be like reading, researching, like what you're doing. She was like, literally, the woke, I'll never forget that. She like woke me up going, Jesus Christ, there's another level that I'm not even aware of that she's operating at, that I need yeah. to set up. And that was, like, that was like in 2015, I think, 16, uh, she said that to me. And uh, yeah, never forgot that. And you both still then <coughs> do you still give yourselves time to work at the weekends or is that slowed down a bit yeah we yeah yeah we do like a couple of hours weekends are for kids for us we, we mm. focus on the kids this balance of like work life family you know my yeah my why is the children and the family that's my why and i protect that time so you know i give you know a minimum you know 50 hours worth of my time to the business a week and even if I'm not at my desk, that's that's like that's proper dedicated time like this, right? Then between you know, in and out of the shower at the gym, I'm thinking about work all the time, right? So I have to prioritize the time with my children because that's why I'm doing it, you know. Um, and I want to be a dad that's there and present. So um, I make sure that um, I protect the weekends, and we both protect the weekends. Um, and we make sure we, we engage, you know, we, we, we're there with kids. Yes, there are times when we work late, late nights and times we have to work in the mornings. But generally, rule of thumb, kids, you know, families, weekends are families. So, so do you think the weekend is the time to get ahead in your career will apply before you have kids and then it's harder? Depending on what you want out of life, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you if you, if you you have kids and, you know, there are people obviously that, that don't prioritise the kids and prioritise their career and they'll have the most amazing career, but maybe not have a relationship with their kids, you know. Mm. Yeah. what you want out of life and you've got to again you've got to understand what you want most you know and um for me i won't sacrifice that um so um 
I believe I can get to where I want to get to within the time that I allocate for my business in the career. And and I and and I ask a lot of my teams, but I also uh, uh, make sure they do the same. Yeah. Well, judging by the comments in the section, we've got Joyce, we've got Farrow, we've got all sorts of people popping up. I think you'd, I think they're, they're pretty inspired and they're, they're motivated by it, which is great. Um, and then when it comes to, you've mentioned that the gyms took a side hit, but in terms of just you, Leo, like as a person, where's where's the time for you? Because you you know you got all this business, you got this, you got kids, you got your wife. Where I know you did an you, like, you did an MBA not too long ago, which was an extra fucking however many hours a week of learning to yeah. better yourself. Like what what are you interested in? Like from a self improvement hobbies interests. Well, what and how do you find time for you in this madness that is um, might be you know meditation, anything that you're doing to keep yourself feeling good um yeah i mean i feel good about i don't do things that don't make me feel good so i feel good that you know that stuff you just told me about the team there that makes me feel good the mm. fact that i've got people that and i said this to one of the guys last night the fact that that i've got people paying their mortgages or paying their bills or going on holiday or buying the certain things they want because of an idea that I've come up with in, you know, one day, put it onto a PowerPoint presentation, started, you know, wheeling it around to people, stick it on LinkedIn. I've got people, because of that idea I've come up with, can buy stuff that they want to buy because they've got jobs that work for us. That is like, that's so motivating for me. That makes me feel really good, right? And I've got jobs, you know? Um, and that's that makes me feel great. The, the fact that... Um, that I can do that um, is is again what why why I get what I get my kick out of. Uh, do I do I like have to feel that I have to go and sit on an island and hum? Um, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is such a. By the way, that is the most stereotypical explanation of, of meditation. I mean, I, I like I'm trying to do like ten minutes a day. There's no fucking humming involved, but anyway. Okay, I right, fine. Sorry, but you know you know what I mean. Like like you know. Get a kid, like I go on the treadmill yeah. for half an hour. I go running with my buddies for an hour. Like I don't tend to talk <laughs> when I'm running or in the gym. I don't talk. That is my time to decompress everything. So, so I, I like to think through the things that I choose to do. I get my happiness. Spending time with the kids, get my happiness. Working, giving people careers, get my happiness. Go to the gym, decompress, get my <laughs> happiness. Because I don't. I want to do stuff that makes me happy. If I. <laughs> If I was if I was doing something and I, it wasn't making me happy, I just wouldn't do it anymore. So I kind of like I don't I don't know if I buy into this whole. That's my time, um, you know. I do I get a kick out of I'm I'm a like you know it, it, you joke because we call this whole the the chapter two wolf pack thing, but I, I am a pack animal. I get my mm. energy from other people. I'm an extrovert, um, and um, that's where I get my energy from <laughs> other people. So um, so yeah, so so so. The bit about me is I do have a relentless work ethic. I have a relentless um, uh, gym ethic when I do it. I am fighting the dad bod because I eat my kids' food and uh, I don't go to gym as much as I want to, but I still train hard when I'm in there. Um, I believe, uh, you know, working hard, being kind to people, being a good father, husband and son, you know, they're my main things. That's That's really it. It's inspirational, mate. I think um, well, I, I I always feed and get my energy from you when we catch up. And I think um, I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm proud because I've seen the whole journey. I've seen you talk about an idea that, you know, I thought would work. And, you know, I, 
I, I knew you, you. I knew you'd be capable, but to watch it happen and or I mean, we're not even. The funny thing is, we're not even started. You know, it's such an early, um, such an early stage. It's not even, not even got anywhere. But I hope other people in the sector perk up and look at this and think, shit, this is, this is different. This is exciting. This is, you know, there's not many people who come in with a completely fresh approach from another sector and disrupt and, and just think, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to do it my way. Um, if you're gonna, <coughs> sorry, I've been muting myself intermittently because I'm my cough is so bad. But when I'm mid talking, I can't do that. If there's anyone listening, and uh, you give them, I don't know, three pieces of advice to really grow their business and and you know not get trapped in this hamster wheel that a lot of smaller recruitment companies get into, which is I'm I'm controlling everything. I'm the biller, I'm the leader, I'm, I'm everything, basically. And I've just got a few people around me that do a bit of, you know, admin. For some people, that's what they want to do. But the people that want to break out, and I know there's thousands of them that, that are struggling. Could you give me give us three pieces of advice that you think would, would allow people to start to scale their organization with, with consistency and sustainability? Yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, so, um, so, so there's... I, I've always been, I don't know if I'm going to succinctly do this in three pieces of advice, but I'll give you the chessboard analogy, right? I think people that have got, there are, are a biller in their in their, their own recruitment agency, um, they have the inability to see and play a game of chess because they are one of the pieces on the chessboard. Um, and they are only looking at it from a sort of view where they can see the pieces around them and they can't see what's coming. They can't see where everybody else is going. They haven't got that bird's eye view. And one of the things, and I believe this to be a massive benefit to the strategy of, of what, and the, one of the reasons why we've been able to grow so quickly is because I do not get on the chessboard. I, I play the game of chess and I have the people around me to, to sort of work with me. And, um, and I think it's incredibly important to do that. So if you, if you, if you, if you want to, to build your business, you've got to have that bird's eye view and have, have that vision and strategy. And you've got to get out of the trenches to be able to do that. Uh, that's not to say that you don't have to get in the trenches time because generally I, I also get in the trenches when I when I need to, but it's the ability to get back out again, you know, quickly. I, I can I, I visualize like a helicopter, right? So you've got this business, you've got your helicopter and you're, you're hovering across your finance, you're hovering across your invoicing and your clients and your recruitment and all that sort of stuff. And you've got to know where to be able to land your drop your helicopter and then hover back up again and then hover over there. That needs some attention, hover it back up again, hover down there hover back up again. That's what I do effectively. Um, if you want to, if you're serious about growing your recruitment business, you, it doesn't happen if you treat your business like a cash point, you know, you've got to treat your business like a living, breathing organism that needs investment. It needs care. It needs, it needs looking after like a child, right? So, um, it needs, um, to be nurtured. So just like the people in the business. So, you you, ha you you can't treat it like a uh, you have to reinvest in it is what i'm saying right so you have to continue to put money in and um uh, give it the food that it needs so um that was two um i think the the final thing is really um you know the discipline and the work ethic you know it's not easy now i know a lot of business leaders and people yeah, you know, I, I nearly put a post on Instagram and I'll give you an example or, or a link. And I could have put this on LinkedIn, but basically, uh, so people will see the Dubai trips and, you know, you joked about, you know, the, the apartment, all that sort of stuff and that sort of thing. But 
what they don't see is that for the first day of our holiday in Dubai, I didn't leave the hotel room. Mm. I was working. My wife was on a conference with 400 people. We were both joking about the fact we got to this amazing hotel. We both sat in the room for the first day of our holiday, you know? And we're always on our phone. We're always checking in. We're always working. And it, it is a lifestyle that you choose to lead. Um, I remember you said to me you were on FaceTime before you went down the aisle on your wedding day. Well, yeah, I think I was. Yeah. I hope she didn't see that. <laughs> no, no, I know. It was really, I know. I'd love to go on that time as well. Um, I, was, I, I was with my son. When my son was born, you know, it's going to probably sound really bad, right? But my, my son was born and he went into intensive care and I didn't leave his side the whole period for eight days in intensive care. But obviously I was sitting there working, hmm. you know? I couldn't ask no, helpless to do anything. So I wasn't going to sit and stare at a wall. No, I, but I was working yeah. uh, because, you know, yeah, I was there next to my son. I couldn't do anything more for him. You know, the nurses were looking after him, but I was sat there working. You know, you've got to be relentless. It's not, it's just not for the faint hearted. If you, if it, if you, if you, if you're not up for it, get let someone take take salary. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, you know, or you know, there, there are three stages. There's like take salary, have an amazing career, have an amazing lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. The second stage is have a business, have your own business, work your own hours, have your own clients, and don't grow it. Just treat it as a cash point. That's fine as well. And then there's the one that I want to do, which is go and build something that can live on. Right? Yeah. 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 Leo been a pleasure mate thank you we've been we've been talking about this for a long time um I'm, I'm glad it finally we finally got it together if anyone if anyone's sat there listening wants to reach out to you ask you any questions linkedin the best place to message you on there yeah message me on linkedin uh get in touch more than happy to to be an ear uh, of advice or, or offer any help i can um so uh yeah more than happy to do that thank you for having me on again you know you guys have been amazing for all of the chats through marketing stuff that we've done um, I regularly got messages from people going, oh my God, you guys, your marketing is good. And I didn't want to tell them who I was using because you <laughs> my secret. I was like, I was like I'm Sean's telling everyone. Sean's going to kill me, but I don't want to tell you who I'm using. because <laughs> <laughs> so, No, we got capacity. Yeah. We got, bring them all in. We've got capacity. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll, I'll just work on my, on my deathbed. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but now, uh, mate, it's been a pleasure. And thank you to everyone listening live. Um, you know, we've got Abby now pumping. Abby Whitbread's giving it big. Proud to be part of the journey. We've got the whole team on there. We've got lots of people commenting, lots of people listening. Um, you know, it's testament to what you're doing. And uh, thanks to every single one of you. I really, really appreciate it. And we'll check in soon. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn. 
at 12 p.m. on Thursday, or you can catch the show on the following Monday from 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you soon.